The sin that caused your deepest pain Yet here I stand by grace complete Made faultless through your precious blood And I'll draw near with confidence Assured of your unfailing love You sought me in my wandering Though I your love could never earn You gave your life an offering And bore the wrath through your precious blood, and I'll draw near with confidence, assured of your unfailing love. My voice shall praise you as my King. My perfect Lamb and great High Priest And when temptations call to me I'll claim your promised victory And I will stand by grace complete Made faultless through your precious blood And I'll draw near with confidence Assured of your unfailing love And I will stand by grace complete Made faultless through your precious blood And I'll draw near with Short of your Take your Bibles this morning, please. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. In our Bibles this morning... Ephesians chapter 6, Bruce and Teresa, it's good to see you today. Thank you for visiting with us after moving. We've missed you. Ephesians chapter 6 in our Bibles. We've been, of course, studying our way through the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are about God's, the riches of God that he has made available to us. The last three chapters about how, uh, how practically he expects us to live. And not only just how he expects that we ought to live, but he... He talks about in these chapters of the provisions that he has made for us so that we can live. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we looked, you remember, back over in verse number 10. And in fact, I'll start reading there. And he warned us about an enemy that we have. uh, Someone who is actively working to keep us from living the lives that God has saved us to live. And look with me in verse number 10. He says, finally, my brethren... 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And again, that word wiles, uh, we get our English word methods from that Greek word. And uh, it means cunning or crafty. And then he says in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so as we studied a couple of weeks ago, we were reminded that the opposition that we face in this world isn't simply um, within uh, a marriage, or it isn't children, or it isn't parents, or it isn't a co-worker, or it isn't a boss. It isn't, uh, it isn't uh, politics, or even other nations. The enemy that you and I face as believers is satanic, and uh, you remember as we studied out this passage and we fleshed it out, we realized that we do have an enemy. We are at war. The enemy has a leader. The, the leader is Satan. It, he is the devil. And he's actively working to destroy um, you and me. And he's actively working to destroy our families. And he's actively working to destroy whatever he can, a person's testimony, a, a church. If he can rob a church of unity, he's out to do it. And then in verse 13, we read, Wherefore, because of the enemy that we face, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith Ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we'll stop there this morning. Um, It is sobering, and as I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, as I was studying out the passage that we looked at, verses 10 down through verse number 13, I found myself uh, sitting back in my chair and concerned about Um, my children, concerned about the church family of which I'm a part, the congregation that I pastor. And and as I was uh, honestly reading and studying the Word of God about the enemy that you all face as individuals, you know, sometimes I'm concerned um, when a member of the congregation becomes ill or is facing a battle with cancer or maybe is struggling with a marriage issue, or parents are concerned for a child. And those things can cause a pastor concern. But as I was studying this passage, I was, I was really taken aback, I think, even, and reminded that ultimately the battle is not with flesh and blood. The problem ultimately isn't with this uh, the particular marriage that the husband and wife won't communicate. That isn't ultimately the problem. Or that a young person's just going through a stage of rebellion. That isn't simply the problem. The problem is greater than that. And as we studied out that passage, we were, we were uh, really, I think, taken aback and reminded that the, the, the enemy that we face is greater than us 
in ourselves, but he is not greater than he who lives within us, the Lord Jesus Christ. The armor of God that we see in this passage I think is a vivid description or a beautiful description of what it means to walk in Christ or to take Christ upon ourselves. To be found in Christ and robed in his righteousness, truth, faith. And it's a beautiful description and we'll see that here this morning as we study. Look back to chapter 4 for just a moment. I want to read a passage to you. We've studied it Already, but I want you to be reminded of it because it really is impossible to walk in Christ. It is really impossible to take upon ourselves the armor of God, though we're commanded to do that in chapter 6, while we are still choosing willfully to live in the flesh and disobey the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Now, did you hear what I just said? It is impossible to take upon ourselves the armor of God as long as we are willfully choosing to disobey the Spirit of God in our lives. And if we don't have the armor on, the armor of God, then we are very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Look at at verse number 22 of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, He says that ye put off concerning the former conversation. That, that, That word means, conversation means manner of life, the way you're living your life. He says, put off the way you, were, you used to live your life, or stop living your life the way you used to before you were saved, the old man, he calls, it, he calls it, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And I want us all to know that we all of us, every single one of us in this room, have deceitful lusts, and we have an old man who we should consider and reckon to be dead. Because remember, in, Christ, in that Christ died, the old man died too. He doesn't have any power over us anymore. We don't have to serve him anymore. We don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to. Because in Christ, in that Christ died, our old man died as well. Look at verse 23. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Start thinking biblically the way God thinks. In verse 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so, just in those three verses, we see that we're commanded to put off the old man, which is the wicked, godless flesh that you and I all have, that we know its temptation, we know its weakness, we know its propensity to go back to living and thinking and acting the way it used to before we were saved. And he says, put on the new man, which is Christ, really, the, the, the spirit of God living within us. Uh, put on the new man, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and live for him. Live for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at our passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today as we look at your word. Father... I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bind the power of the evil one. I pray today, as your word is preached, Father, I pray that we would hear it and we would receive it, that we would understand it. Father, I pray as 
because much is at stake in our homes and even for eternity in the battle that we're in. Father, I pray that we would that you give us some understanding on this matter of what it is to put on the armor of God. And Father, I pray that we would choose this day whom we will serve, our flesh and the old man or the Spirit of God, Christ, living within us, the new man. And Father, help us, I pray. Defend us by your word and your spirit, and I pray that we would walk in him. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to, right up front, I'm going to make a statement that is really the crux of the entire message. And it really is as simple as this. If you are going to be victorious, if you're going to stand against the evil one, if you're going to withstand the attacks of Satan in your life, then you're going to have to submit to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have to allow the word of God to transform you. Or you're going to have to be conformed to the word of God. You're going to have to submit to the word of God. Let me say that again because that's simple, but it really does boil down to this. If you are going to stand in the evil day, if you're going to withstand the attacks of Satan, and he is out to destroy you're going to have to submit to the Holy Spirit of God and to the Word of God in your life. There really is no other way. And, and, and it would be arrogant and proud, prideful on our part to read about this armor of God and to think to ourselves, that's really nice, But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I don't have to submit to the Spirit of God. I don't have to say yes to him in this area of my life or or this area of my life or in this relationship in my life. I don't have to say yes to him in everything. Um, But you know what? I still think that God is able to deliver me. And, And I want you to know something. It's arrogant to think that we can disobey the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and still enjoy the victory that God has provided for us. And I do remind you, we are not fighting for the victory. The victory is already won. We are fighting from a position of victory. The question is, are we in the position that God wants us to be in? One of humility and submission to the Holy Spirit of God. I believe with all of my heart, a a, a child of God who is in submission, who is saying yes to the Spirit of God in their life, No matter how long they've been saved, no matter how much Bible they know, a believer who is saying yes to the Spirit of God humbly, day by day, is protected by this armor that we're going to read about, and they will not be overcome by the enemy. But the opposite is also true. A child of God, heaven is their home. A child of God who is saying no to the Spirit of God in their life. They may attend church. They may read the Bible. They may have a wonderful testimony, you know, salvation testimony. A child of God who is saying no to the Spirit of God is very vulnerable, and they will suffer defeats in this life. Heaven is their home, but they will suffer defeats in this life. They will suffer shame and regret, and they will miss out on many of God's blessings. The blessings and the protection of God are found in Christ 
in saying yes to his Holy Spirit. I hope that is very clear as we go through this here this morning. Now remember, we're, sp- we're fighting a spiritual battle, and the equipment of God, the, the equipment that God has provided for us is spiritual. We're not fighting a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle, and some of the equipment is for offense. Some of the equipment is for defense, and the reality is, is, is that God has provided uh, what he calls the whole armor of God. Not just partial armor, not just a helmet of salvation and then left defenseless in other areas of our lives, but the whole armor of God, and God has provided this armor for us, for you. If you're a child of God, he has provided armor for you. You know, I I wish that I could have all the pieces of armor here today. You know, we could have BJ come up and I could put on the helmet, you know, and we could get that on there and... And uh, we could put on the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I don't think that'd be great, wouldn't it? But we don't have all that armor with us today. Um, although I did Google it. I was Googling Roman armor, and they have it. You know, you can buy it. I, I thought it'd be, look great in my office, you know, to have some Roman armor. Uh, anyway, I don't have any of that with me. Uh, I think you probably have in your mind what the Roman soldiers looked like. You know, uh, a Roman soldier was well-equipped for the battle. They were victorious. They, they ruled the world for a time. Um, it would have been unwise for a Roman soldier to go into battle without part of his armor, wouldn't it? They, uh, for a man to go into battle without the helmet or uh, without the, the belt or the girdle that connected the, breast, uh, the breastplate together to hold everything in place. It would have been unwise for a Roman soldier to go into battle without his sword, wouldn't it? That would have been unwise. Fully armored, but not with a sword. And uh, so too is it very unwise, and so too is it very unwise for a child of God to go into battle without the, uh, the armor that God has provided for us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8, he says, Be sober, Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The unsaved are being overwhelmed by the evil one. And you as believers, as God's children, ought to know that the devil is trying to overwhelm you as well, And you need to have the armor of God upon. And so Paul is penning down these words. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's telling them to put on the armor of God. He's giving them a command. He's saying you must do this or you're going to be overwhelmed. And so it's by faith we understand that Christ has already defeated Satan. And that God has provided us with spiritual armor and spiritual weapons. But it's by faith we accept that God gives us what we need and we go out to meet the enemy. The day is evil. The enemy is powerful. But if God be for us, who can be against us? I want to look at this armor and really Christ is our armor. Look at, uh, first of all, in verse number 14, the beginning part, that we're to put on the belt of truth. We're to put on the belt of truth. Look at verse number 14, the beginning part. He says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Stand. And he's he's told us this several times. Back in verse, uh, what is it, verse number 10. 
Um, at verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the cunning, the craftiness, the methods of the devil. And then in verse 13, he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the attacks, is the idea, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Are you doing all to stand? And now in verse number 14, he's saying, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. It's a girdle, it's a belt. And um, truth is absolutely necessary if you're going to stand against the devil. The other day, uh, we were sitting at the kitchen table, and one of my children had done something, and I had corrected him, and it was taken care of, and, um, and then at the dinner table, it came up, what he had done came up, and it was, not, it was not overly bad what had happened or what had been done. In fact, I don't even remember what it was exactly, but he was ashamed of it. He was embarrassed, and so... He, he blurted out in a moment, I didn't do that. Now, I was sitting there. I watched him do it. I corrected him when he did it. It was obvious that he had done it. He knew that I knew that he had done it. And yet, his first response was to, he was ashamed. He, he didn't want to look bad. He didn't want anybody to laugh. Or, and so, immediately, he lied. And, and it, it was just... It, I mean, between you and me, it was, it was so childish, and it was, it, it was, it was almost innocent, okay? I mean, he just didn't want anybody to laugh at him, okay? But the truth is, he didn't tell the truth. And, 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 I, and, I, and, and, and another thought on this, too, sometimes we're very sincere, and he was very sincere in that moment. He was, he was trying to be sincere, like he was very genuine. I didn't do it. Wasn't me. Um. But he was not telling the truth. It's possible for you and I, for God's people, to be sincerely wrong about something. To, to, to really believe it in our hearts. To be really committed to something that not be true. And I want you to know something, that sincerity is no replacement for truth. Now, true sincerity would be truth. But just being sincere about something, just sincerely believing something, is not a replacement for truth. Truth is absolutely necessary if you and I are going to stand against the wiles of the devil. The Bible tells us that Satan is a liar. In John chapter 18, or in John chapter 8 and verse 44, he says, Christ says of the devil, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is a liar. Are you a truth teller? Do you tell the truth? Do you believe the truth? And I'm, and I'm saying it, sincerity, sincerely believing something, is no replacement for the truth. You and I need to know the truth. You and I need to speak the truth. In, in, in one particular situation, sometimes uh, people will, will exaggerate things to make the story better. Don't do that. 
And I think we'd like to think in this passage, truth is only referring to theology. But then outside of theology, uh, we can exaggerate and we can twist things a little bit and we can look out for ourselves and it's not, not a big deal. And I want you to know something. The devil gains a foothold in our lives, in our thinking, in our homes, in our children, in the local church, when, when God's people don't stand for the truth. You, you and I must be committed to standing for the truth in every area of our lives. It'd be okay, we would do well in our lives as we're going through our work week, or we're going through interacting with our families, or our neighbors, or where, whatever it is, we do well when we're telling a story to, to consider in our own hearts, is that true? Sometimes it's okay, and I tell this to one of my children, it's okay to say, uh, it's okay to ask a question um, about something. It's, it's, okay to, it's okay to say, I don't know, but maybe it's this way. I don't know, but maybe it's this way. It's okay to say that. Sometimes we just say, well, it's this way. I forget what Will said the other day, but it was, he was talking about the sun and... Uh, I don't, I don't know what it was about the sun, but something about flowers in the sun and something else in the sun. And he just said it like it was the gospel truth. And he's walking past me, and I'm filling up a wheelbarrow full of dirt. And he walks past me, and I said, and he was, he was telling Olivia something about the sun and the sunflowers in the sun. And, and he was saying it like it was the gospel truth. And I said, hey, Will, there are no sunflowers in the sun. He's like, well, there could be. I said, no, there are no sunflowers in the sun. And and I said, William, only say what you know is true. Now you say, boy, he's only six. You're such a party pooper, Pastor Ferguson. I mean, can't a boy be six and imagine? Uh, He can. And you know what? Nobody will believe him if he keeps on. And the thing about him is he won't change unless he starts recognizing and understanding there is such a thing as truth, and it's not whatever comes out of my mouth or whatever comes into my mind. And I'm not being overly hard on my young, my young boy. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've told him the story about the boy who cried wolf, you know. We're at the kitchen table. His grandmother from Pennsylvania was sitting at the kitchen table. And one of those situations came up. He was starting to tell a story. And I looked over at him and, you know, and what I was saying was, speak the truth. And he stopped and he howled. Oh. <laughs> I looked at Cindy. Okay, yeah, okay. So he at least remembers the boy who cried wolf. I'd never heard of that before. But you know what? And and I'm using my son's illustration here, but every one of us are tempted not to walk in the truth sometimes. Walk in the truth. I'm telling you, it's not just in theology. It's not just for a pastor when preaching the word of God. It's not just for Christians when we're doing a business transaction together. Well, I was honest there. Be honest. Tell the truth. The devil's a liar. He's the father of liars. So the believer whose life is controlled by truth will defeat the lies of the devil. The belt of the soldier connected with some of the other components of the armor, the the sword of the spirit, the the breastplate of righteousness. And without truth, there is no righteousness. Without truth, there is no gospel. 
Without truth, there is no genuine faith. There is no salvation without truth. And we need to practice truth. We need to practice it. We need to believe it. We need to speak it. And if we won't, then we cannot use the word of truth. See, once a lie gets into a life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. Remember, I'm reminded of King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And as a boy, God had used him to pen down much of the Old Testament, many of the Psalms by David. He communed with God. He had fellowship with God. And as a king, he, he looked and he lusted and he began to believe lies. He believed, it was, he believed the lie that it was okay for him to look. It was okay for him to covet. It was okay for him to think bad thoughts about Uriah, wishing he were dead. It had to start there. He had to wish he was dead before he moved to the point of killing Uriah. But lie after lie after lie after lie, David began to believe. And you know what? He had to believe these lies for over a year. He believed those lies. Everything fell apart. A man of integrity, a man with a clear conscience, can face the enemy without fear. We can defeat the enemy if we will learn the truth, if we will live the truth, and if we will love the truth. You need the belt of truth. You need to put it on. And how do we put it on? We'll learn the word of God and say yes to the Holy Spirit of God. How do you learn the truth? You learn the word of God and you say yes to the Spirit of God. Uh, one of our ladies in the, new, the foundations class this morning, our new members class this morning, talked about how she's growing in the Word of God. Now she's learning, she's learning things from the Bible. And we, and we talked about how that never ends. It should never end. Some of us have been saved for a long time. Some of us have, come to the, the, have gotten the, the idea in our minds that we already know it all. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. Put on the girdle of truth. Secondly, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Look at verse number 14. The middle part, he says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're to stand, and we can stand and withstand as we have uh, our loins girt about with truth. We have the, the, the belt of truth on, and we have the breastplate of righteousness on. The breastplate for a Roman soldier was made of metal, it was or, or chain mail, and it covered the soldier's body from the neck to the waist, and it covered the soldier's body in the front and in the back as well. And again, we, we can only defeat the enemy if we learn the truth and live and love the truth. And, and, and here we have the Roman soldier, and his, his chest is covered and his back is covered. The breastplate of righteousness symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ. Uh, Look with me, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 in your Bibles. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The, the, The breastplate would have protected the Roman soldier from spears and and swords, and specifically, the breastplate would have protected the soldier's vital organs, his heart, his lungs. And, and you and I are commanded in Scripture to keep or to protect our hearts with all diligence, for out of it, out of our hearts are the issues of life. In other words, out of our hearts 
we act, we act out, we make choices, we determine how we're going to live, where we're going to go, when we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we think. It all comes out of our heart. And and this is what Christ says in Matthew chapter 15, in verse number 18. Look there, verse 18. Christ says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Out of the heart, the the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is doing what is right. It's protected or are the, the thoughts that we have, the things that we do, um, come out of our heart, and the breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts. Look with me, if you would, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse number 21. Now, the breastplate of righteousness, in a way, symbolizes the righteousness that we as believers have in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. He says this in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God sent his son to die on the cross to save us from our sins, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And and, and Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6 where we're studying, I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now to do that, you're going to have to put off the old man. It's not a good fit. It's really an impossible fit. When... uh, a person is living in unrighteousness and says, I want to put on Christ's righteousness. It doesn't fit. And so we have to say, uh, we have to be honest about ourselves and say, Lord, this is where I'm at in my life and these are my thoughts and Lord, this is where my heart is and I'm struggling in this area. Doubts and discouragements or temptations, uh, lust, covetousness, idolatry. God, would you please cleanse me and, and Father, I, I want Christ's righteousness to be in my life. I want Christ to live his righteous life through my life. And in doing so, we're putting on the righteousness of Christ. So the breastplate of righteousness symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ. We have that. We're positionally in Christ. It also symbolizes his righteous life that uh, lived out through us. See, we don't just have the righteousness of Christ, then we live our lives however we want. The breastplate of righteousness is something to be lived out. It's not enough for me to say, you know, I've been saved, I have the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son. And that is true for every child of God. But that is not enough uh, for what God desires for you and for me. He literally wants you and I to live out the righteousness of Christ. He wants us to let Christ live his righteousness out through our lives. Think about it as a parent. Are you a righteous parent? Righteousness is doing that which is right. How do we know what is right? Well, it's, it's what the Bible tells us. That is what is right and true. Are you a righteous parent? Are you righteous in your parenting? 
Are you righteous in your marriage? Are you righteous in your business dealings? Are you wearing the breastplate of righteousness? Are you saying no to the old man and yes to the Spirit of God? Because when you say yes to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you are putting on the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, and you can withstand the attacks and onslaught of the devil. But when I'm saying no to the Spirit of God, and I'm saying no to the Word of God, and maybe not in every area, I don't know of anybody... Personally, I've never met somebody who is saying, I'm not going to believe anything the Bible says, and I'm going to say no to the Spirit of God in every turn. I don't know that I've ever met anybody who has made that sort of statement. Normally, uh, we, as fo- we, we folks, we believers would say, I believe the Bible. I want the Holy Spirit of God to have his way in my life. But then in our hearts, we say, but not over here. Not over here. Not over there. And what, what, I, what Paul's saying to the believers, if you're going to stand and you're going to withstand the attack of the evil one, he who is more powerful than you, then you are going to have to take upon yourself the righteousness. And he refers to it as a breastplate of righteousness. Something that's going to protect you, your vital organs, from the attack of the devil. You know, Satan is the accuser, the Bible tells us, but he cannot accuse the believer who is living a godly life in the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the qualifications of a pastor is that a pastor is supposed to be blameless. And the, 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 the Greek word for blameless has the idea of having a handle. Uh, something that has a handle, you can use for leverage. You can leverage something when it has a handle. And so one of the qualifications for a pastor is there shouldn't be anything in that pastor's life where somebody else, Satan, through another individual, could leverage the pastor to do something that he wouldn't normally do. The same is true for you and for me. When you and I are living, or we have pockets of our lives where unrighteousness is at, Satan, we are very vulnerable to his accusations. And I'm even careful here, but... What kind of a person are, are you who would do that and, and live a life? What kind of a Christian are you? See, that's something the devil might whisper. And all of a sudden, he can get a person starting to think discouraging thoughts and having doubts and fears, succumbing to fears. And I want you to know something. Sometimes we give him tools. We give him uh, opportunity that if we were walking in the Spirit, he would not have that opportunity. If we were putting on the the breastplate of righteousness, if we were living lives that were right with God, the devil wouldn't have anything to grab a hold of. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, the life we live either fortifies us against the attacks of the devil, or it makes it easier for the devil to attack us. A person Now, now a person who's uh, put on the the breastplate of righteousness, who's living a life that is according to the word of God and, and saying he's saying yes. I'm not talking about a person who's always perfect. I'm talking about a believer who's, who's saying yes to the spirit of God as best as he knows and he's searching the scriptures and he's putting himself, himself under the word of God to know what God says, know how he ought to live. And as best as he knows, he's putting one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and he's living a life that's righteous before God. The devil's still going to attack that individual. But there's not anything to hold on to. 
Some of us, some of us are vexed deeply. And, the sat- and, and Satan, the devil, has access into our lives because we're not living lives of righteousness. We're not living righteous lives. And we live with guilt. And we live with shame. And the devil has a heyday with it. He has a heyday with it. When Satan accuses the Christian, it it, it is the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of his salvation. But if we only have positional righteousness in Christ, but we are not living our lives out in righteousness, we are open to Satan's lies and we're open to his attacks. Look look over to verse number 15 back in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 15. So we need to put on the belt of truth. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And thirdly, we need to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. And can I say before we leave the breastplate of righteousness, you need to intentionally choose to be right with God. And we need to be honest when we are not right with God. What do I mean by that? We need to be honest when what we're doing is not righteous. That word righteousness shows up all through the New Testament. It's important to God. God is righteous. He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to live lives that are right before him. Living a life that is right with God. Don't don't believe the lie of the devil that you can be right with God while not living a life that is right before God. Okay, thirdly, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Look at verse 15. He says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, uh, these shoes would have been sandals that the Roman soldiers would have worn. Um. I should ask you, do you have peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Do you have peace with him? Do you find yourself hiding from him? There might be some in this room here today and you say, I have no peace with God. And you try very hard to do things that will bring you peace with God. Remember, true peace with God only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. You need his salvation, the salvation of God, to have true peace with God. But to believers, I'm speaking, and that's to whom Paul was writing in Ephesians chapter 6. And so the question is for us as believers, do we have peace with God? The Roman soldiers, they would wear these sandals, and in the soles of the sandals, they would have what they called a hobnail. Or basically, they were nails that would come through the soul. You wouldn't want to be stepped on by a Roman soldier. It would have hurt, okay? But what it did is it gave the Roman soldiers traction. And in hand-to-hand combat, slipping was not an option. Uh, Putting uh, your forearm into the chest of your opponent or or, or maybe uh, your shield into the chest of your opponent and driving him backwards, you needed leverage. You needed something that you could stand Uh, and withstand in the battle as you were fighting. And if we're going to stand, and if we're going to withstand, then we need to have peace with God because of the gospel. We need to have peace with God. Why? Because of the gospel. Romans 5.1 tells us that we have peace with God because Jesus died. 
We have peace with God through Jesus Christ in that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again. He says it this way in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my question is, what is the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? What is the gospel? And the answer to that question is, the gospel is the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, so what does that mean? Well, we know that he died. We know that he was buried. We know that he rose again. But, but what does that mean? How does that affect me? How does that give me peace that Jesus died and was buried and rose again? Well, it means this, in that Jesus died, because he died, I too have died to sin. I'm dead to sin. And in that Jesus was buried, my sins have been taken away. Isn't it amazing the Bible doesn't say that our sins have been removed from us as far as the north is from the south. Because if you were to go north and just keep going north, eventually you would begin to go south again. But he says that our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And if I head west, I can keep going west and I will always and only be going west. I will never go east. And so when our, and the Bible says our sins have been set, taken from us as far as the east is from the west, they just keep going and going infinitely. They have been taken away. They are never to be held against us or held to our account again. Um, and so in that Jesus Christ was buried, my sins have been taken away. In that Jesus Christ arose from the dead, I have eternal life to live for God and not for my sin. In other words, I'm no longer in bondage to sin. I don't have to sin anymore. I'll never be judged for my sin. It was buried. And in Christ, I can please God. And in all three of those areas, I have peace with God. And only because of the gospel, I have peace with God. I don't have to live in sin anymore. My sins have been taken away. And I have been saved by God and given eternal life to live for righteousness, to live in righteousness for the glory and praise of God. You know, that's not who we used to be. We used to be slaves to sin. Our sin was ours. We owned it. It was on our account. We deserved death and hell because of it, and we could not please God. But the gospel, the death of Christ, and the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, because of the gospel, my sins have been taken away. I'm freed to serve God and to please God. I don't have to serve sin anymore. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. And Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, you better put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Because it's only through the gospel that you have peace with God. It's only because of the gospel that you have peace with God. And so we need to stand against the attacks of Satan and the gospel of peace. What would it mean to not have our feet shod with the gospel of peace? What would it mean for a believer to be living in the flesh, not filled with the spirit, not saying yes to the spirit of God, not, not obeying the word of God? What would it mean for a believer not to have their feet shod with the gospel of peace? And the answer would be that we would live like we're a slave to our sinful flesh. Now let me ask you, is a believer a slave to sinful flesh, yes or no? No. Let me ask that again. Is a believer a slave to sinful flesh? I'm going to ask one more time. The answer is no, okay, in case you don't know, and I want to hear you. Is a child of God, a believer in Christ... A slave to sin anymore? No. no. Do you know that? 
I hope, you answer that, hope you're answering that question in your mind. Do you know that you're not a slave to sin anymore? Maybe, maybe in our day, believers in Christ have bought into the idea that salvation in Christ is only salvation from death and hell in the future, but today I'm just a slave to my sinful flesh. That's just who I am. Just like the world, you know, looking and lusting and speaking foolish and unwise things and losing our tempers and living according to lust and passions of this life. Friend, that is not the salvation of Christ. A, a, a person who does not have their feet shot with the gospel of peace means a person lives like a slave, but they're not a slave. Would it make any sense at all? Would it make any sense at all for a person who had been liberated from slavery to go back and subject and submit themselves to that lifestyle anymore? When Abraham Lincoln got up and gave that speech, the Emancipation Proclamation, and he declared that slavery was now abolished and that they were no longer under slavery anymore. Would it have made any sense for those people who had been released from slavery to go back and live in slavery the rest of their lives and to bring their children up in slavery anymore? Would, it, that, would that have made sense in the least? No! And it's sad, but I fear that many, many of God's children, we do that. Jesus Christ died. And in that, he died Romans tells us we have died too, that we are dead to our flesh, and and it's dead to us, and that we are no longer bound, enslaved to sin any longer. And he says, put on the gospel of peace, put on the shoes of the gospel, give yourself some footing in the battle. And you don't have any footing in the battle if we don't believe that we have been freed from the sin and, and slavery to sin any longer. If we still believe that we can't help but treat our family the way we do, and we can't help but think the wicked thoughts that we do, then we are still enslaved to sin. And the truth is, for a believer, a believer is not enslaved to sin. They don't have to sin. For a believer not to have his feet shot with the gospel of peace, it would mean uh, that a person lives like they're guilty. And by the way, when when we're sowing to the flesh, we feel guilty, don't we? feel like we deserve the consequences, and consequences do come in this lifetime. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. There are consequences in this lifetime, but even a child of God, when they sin, will not be held accountable for their sin or be judged for their sin because Jesus Christ was already judged for that sin once for all. A whole lot of footing for a a believer who's living in sin. And then the, the third part of that would be A believer who does not have his feet shod with the gospel of peace starts to think that he can't please God. Now, I want to tell you something. These are all lies of the devil. The devil loves to whisper to one of God's children, hey, you're a slave to sin. You can't help but sin. This is who you are. You know, you've always been this way. You can't help it. The devil would love to whisper into your ear or to mine, you are so guilty. You're so guilty. God can't use you. You're worthless. How pathetic. 
Or, or he would love to whisper into our, our ears, uh, you can't please God. And so, some of God's people live like this, and you don't have peace with God. And he's saying, I want you to have peace with God. You live like Christ's sacrifice. Don't live like Christ's sacrifice was insufficient to overcome our sins. Satan loves this kind of thinking, and he's continually trying to rob God's children of peace by attacking the sufficiency of the gospel. That Christ's death, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross 2,000 years ago was sufficient. He loves, the devil loves attacking that whether or not Christ's sacrifice for us was sufficient. The shoes also have another application, and that is that we should take every opportunity we have to share the gospel of peace with those around us. Are you taking, are you putting on the, 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 the shoes of the gospel of peace? Do you share the gospel with others? When's the last time you told someone about the gospel? That Jesus died and that he died, he died for you and, and you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore and he took your sins away and, and he lives and, and you can live and you can please God. When's the last time you told somebody that? I'm not trying to guilt you here. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to badger you. or, or I'm, That's not my motive. But I, I say this to you regularly, but you know people that I'll never meet. And you're a servant of God. You're one of his children. The Bible calls you a saint. Put on the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Live in the truth of the gospel and share the truth of the gospel with other people. In Romans 10 and verse 15, the Bible says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings, or excuse me, bring glad tidings of good things. I'm going to stop there this morning for sake of time. Um, Look at verse 16 and we'll just read the remainder of the the armor that we're to put on. And I want you to think about it. We're not going to get to it for a couple more weeks because we have our evangelist with us next Sunday. Uh, Look at verse number 16. He says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, that's taking God at his word, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, which would have meant guarding the mind, your thinking, Boy, the devil loves to attack our thinking. And I've told you before, there have been times where, where uh, my wife has stood in the doorway of my office at home and, and, she said, and she has told me, Seth, that isn't true, what you're thinking. And she'll quote from a Philippians. She'll quote, quote from Philippians. Think in those things that are true and lovely and good report. Think those things that are true. The devil loves to attack our mind. Get us thinking wrong things, sometimes about one another. And then, and then verse number 17, the latter part, he says, to put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Learn the Word of God and say yes to the sword of the Spirit. If I leave you with nothing else, remember that. This is not mystical, this idea of the armor of God. You know, and I'm, I'm careful, but you should not get up in the morning and, 
Your wife says, what are you doing? And you say, well, I'm putting on the belt of truth. And you do that. And then we're going to put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. It's not mystical. You put it on by putting off, saying no to the old man. Recognize him for who he is. The way you used to live. The Bible calls it the former conversation. The way you used to live. You know, some of us ought to look at our godless, wicked tempers. We ought to say, God, that's the way I used to live. And Lord, I'm I'm saying no to it. And whatever the lust of your flesh may be, I'm saying no to it. And God, I'm saying yes to your spirit. And as you say yes to his Holy Spirit, and yes to his word, you are putting on the armor of God. And you will stand, and you will be able to withstand over a lifetime the onslaught and the attack after attack after attack of of Satan and his forces against you as a child of God and a soldier of God. And as your pastor, I look out upon you, and my concern is that you would be able to stand and withstand, that you would not succumb that your children would not succumb. And and frankly, we ought to leave here with a sense of, we ought to know that we have all that we need in Christ, but we ought to leave here with a sense of inadequate understanding of, Lord, what does this mean to be putting on your armor? God, help me to know what it is and help me to be able to do it so that I'll be able to stand. And as parents, so that we can teach our children, this is how you put on the armor of God. You know, our children ought to be able to look at our lives, and by watching us as mom and dad, they ought to be able to understand, this is how I put on the armor of God. It'd be a great thing to, to, to endow our children with an understanding of how to put on the armor of God. And long after our bodies are buried and laid to rest, our children and our grandchildren are still standing and having done all to stand. Let's, let's stand together and I'll close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us by your spirit as we leave this place. Lord, we just kind of scratched the surface. Didn't, didn't even really get halfway. Father, I pray for each person under the sound of my voice and believers, Lord. Father, I pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit how to stand. And we know that by the necessity of putting on the armor, but Father, guide us in our daily lives this week when we are tempted to live in the old man, which is death and destruction. Help us to understand and see the situation for what it is, that there is spiritual battle, there's a spiritual battle going on And that there is a path of victory, and that is by saying yes to Christ and yes to his spirit and yes to his word, and in doing so, saying yes to the armor of God, which ultimately defends us and accomplishes the the victory for us. Father, help us in these things, I pray, for your honor and for your glory. I pray these things. Amen. You are dismissed. Lord bless you.